Hey friends, welcome to Eat, Pray, Hustle podcast. I'm Marielle Senny-Settles and I am taking over. I'm a business owner, a mama, a licensed esthetician, and a self-development enthusiast. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about all things food, spirituality, success. There's no limits, so let's talk about it all. It's going to be a good one. podcast is brought to you by Skinology Skin and Body Studio, a licensed massage establishment in Northwest Tucson and a full service aesthetic salon. We are your one-stop shop for lashes, skin care, and massage. Our licensed estheticians and massage therapists have years of experience and we were recently nominated for best spa and massage. Book today at SkinologyTucson.com. Welcome back guys. I've got a local celebrity here. Melissa Steele, content creator for Tucson Foodie and butcher at Forbes Meat Company. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. And you've done a few podcasts before, you said, right? A couple, yeah. yeah. I feel like Tucson Foodie needs to bring back the podcast slash radio show. Yeah, it was a really fun project for us when we did it. Um, and I, Tucson Foodie's like under new management now, so I'm not sure what their plans are, but I'll definitely put a bid in for it because yeah. it was really fun. We can definitely help you out here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's exciting to see um, the changes too with Tucson Foodie. What do you think is for sure? What's next there? Is anything big brewing? I mean, so I I've been with Tucson Foodie or prior to the pandemic, I guess it was a total of five years. Uh, there was a break there in 2020 um, because. Tucson Foodie kind of took a step back during the pandemic. We weren't really sure like how to handle um, restaurant closures and trying to encourage people to go out while also encouraging people to quarantine and stay at home was a little bit weird, a little dicey. So uh, there was a break there in 2020, um, and now it's under completely new ownership, new management. Um, one of the first things that the new owner did was bring back all the original kind of cast and characters. So that was really fun. We all kind of got our jobs back. Um, and then now they've brought in a bunch of new writers, bunch of new photographers, super talented people. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. Yeah, we just had Jesse on, uh, owner of Tucson Hop Shop and the beer oh, writer for yeah, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's a beer expert. So yeah. why wouldn't she be part of the team? Exactly. We have like coffee writers that way, wine writers, like people who just really know a lot about a very niche thing. I love which it. Which is great. All the info, please. Exactly. <laughs> so I am curious to learn a little bit more about you. Can you tell us about your childhood? Like, Have you always been a foodie? Did you sure. have an Easy Bake Oven when you were a little girl? <laughs> I I don't think I had an Easy Bake Oven. Um, I was uh, born in Southern California, so raised in Laguna Beach. Um one sister, you know, parents, we all lived together, tiny little house. Um, and although it's a super affluent area, we were not super affluent people. Um, and so my parents both had jobs. My mom worked every day. Uh, and so I cooked a lot with my sister, okay. actually. When we, like, got home, it was, like, one of our chores. We had to, like, make dinner. And so my mom would leave us out. It was almost like it was like green box subscriptions where like everything's pre-portioned. Um, it was kind of like that, but like way back in the day where my mom would leave a recipe and be like, these are the instructions, here's your ingredients, like ready, set, go. Wow. And it was one of the things that my sister and I were kind of responsible for as we, you know, grew up. And um, I really enjoyed it. She really hated it. <laughs> so I was the one who kind of cooked a lot. Um, my first like 
asked me what I wanted to do when I was 10 years old, I would have said, go to the Culinary Institute of America in New York City. Like I was like, it's not even in New York City. I learned that later. It's in upstate New York. But um, <laughs> I still like that was the dream. Uh, always been interested in food like my whole life. Yeah. So. I think that's amazing. I definitely had the Easy Bake Oven. Did you? I did yes. too. I think I did. I think, so my mom was a preschool teacher okay. and I think it was maybe even the classroom Easy Bake okay. Oven that yeah. I remember using. Yeah. We got to use a lot of the like little kids toys that were in the preschool class. With the pre-made cake mix oh, and yeah. stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Duncan Hines. The like, funnest. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I love it. Um, <laughs> I told my mom I wanted to be a chef at one point. And did she, you? Yes. And she was like, no, you don't want to do that. Yeah. There's no money in that. And now I'm even like, mom, I could could have been like Rachel Ray or something. Like, you, let me. you still can. There's nothing saying you couldn't do it True, now if you right. wanted to. Nah, I don't want to do it anymore. I know, right? Actually, I was like, shoot, I wish my parents had been like, you probably don't want to do that. I would have been like, you're right. Actually, once you think about it, it's pretty brutal. So what was it like going to high school in Laguna Beach during the MTV Laguna Beach era? Oh, so weird. Can we chat about this? Yes, okay. of course. Um, I distinctly remember when I like went to college, like I gave the girls on my floor in my dorm room like three hours and I was like, ask me everything you want because I don't ever want to be asked this ever again. And here we are talking about <laughs> Here we are again. Um, yeah, it was just the strangest place, honestly, to grow up and to be like an awkward teenager with like literally the most beautiful like TV stars in the same class as you is just insane. You actually went to school with the Laguna yes. Beach cast? Yeah. Okay, yeah. amazing. They were a little bit older than me, so... Yeah. Um, I kind of knew it was on for like three seasons, I think, three or four even. And it had started with my sister's class. So my sister was two years older than me. And so I remember like when MTV came to the school and they like did this casting and it was a big deal. And it was supposed to be like a singular episode of a show that I think was called High School Stories. I don't even remember. Um, and they were like, oh, the drama here is so good. And these kids are so dumb. So they decided to make it into a whole series and it just blew up. And it was right around the time that I had like moved away, gone to San Francisco and it was on and super popular. Yeah. Um, and it was just bizarre. It was, so, you know, like MTV is like at your prom. It's just strange. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Super weird. I was surprised to hear that you are a California girl. Yeah. Because I for sure thought you were a Tucson native. Really? Really? Yeah. No, I uh, I've actually only been in Tucson for five years total. Wow. At this point, um, I bounced around California for a bit. I obviously grew up in Southern California. Went to school in the Bay Area. Um, lived there for quite a while after school, and then I was in New York up until the time that I moved to Tucson. And I only moved to Tucson because I left my left my job in New York, left my my house, my apartment, whatever. And was on my way back to California, and my mom had moved to Green Valley, and so I was like, you know, I'm just gonna like crash on her couch for a little bit, you know, like I'm flat broke, have no money after living in New York, and um, I ended up like coming into Tucson a couple times a week just because I was bored, and I was just walking around town. I was like, oh, it's like a really cool little town. Like, there's like university here. That everyone's super young, super fun. Like, great food culture. Like, um. I hung out a lot downtown and just eventually like started applying for jobs and yeah. ended up landing at Tucson Foodie and loved it. And I kind of knew that I had wanted to work in food media or food related media when I was um, leaving New York. And so it was like kind of just the dream job. Yeah. yeah, I think you fit right in. I think you're like a, a Tucson native at this point, even though it hasn't been 10 years. <laughs> right. That's the rule, right? Yeah. You have to live somewhere 10 years 10 before years. you can say you're from somewhere. Yes. So... 
can you tell us about your background in capital management and wealth management? Sure. And you, I don't think people know that you have a background in finance. Yeah. So my college degrees uh, were in like political science and developmental economics. I went to super liberal school in San Francisco and like giving back to the community was the utmost important. So um, I was studying political science and then realized like you can't really understand politics unless you understand money. And so I started adding on um, uh, economics classes and specifically developmental like young developing countries economics. Um, And so studied that in school, graduated, and there's not a lot of jobs in San Francisco at that time. It was 2010, just terrible job market. And um, I was applying around and of course there's just you know, every high finance company is New York and San Francisco. That's like where they are. Mm-hmm. So um, I ended up working for a private wealth management firm. It was my first job out of college. And it was nice because it was like families mostly. And so like these super rich people would come in, mostly like tech Silicon Valley guys would come in and they're like, I made all this money and I don't know what to do with it. Wow. <laughs> so or I don't know how to like leave it for my kids or like, sure. you know, manage it. And so um, they would come in and they would use our firm. We would help them like lay out a plan for what they should do with all this money that they had. And then I, with that job, actually moved to New York. So we had an office in New York and I was able to just transfer, which was great. If you ever move to New York, you want to have a job before you get there. (laughs) Not an easy place to find a job. So it was perfect. I ended up transferring and then um, was still there for a couple years with that company and then went to hedge funds. And hedge funds are pretty much just the worst breed of finance companies. Um, you know, they like mostly make the best way you can describe it is they make money off of people who are losing money. They take your money is what they, I was going to say. Yeah. They take your money. And specifically this particular company that I will not name, uh, their their main situation, that how they made their money was they uh, they invested in small countries that were declaring bankruptcy. Oh my god. So like this is right around the time that Greece like declared bankruptcy like the country. And so we made a ton of money and it just made you feel horrible. And uh it was after that that I was like I don't think I can do this anymore. Mm. It's it's a really um tough industry. You have for to sure. be a shark. You really have to be a shark. And I realized that I was spending, you know, 60 plus hours a week with people that I just really disliked mm. like they're just not great people and everyone is you know 22 straight out of business school or master's degrees in economics and they're making so much money and blowing so much money all the time and it just it wasn't for me yeah so, I'm picturing like the wolf of wall street kind of <laughs> same, same vibes yeah so are you good with money now I would say I that that experience definitely made me um It's an interesting question. I saw it on your list and I was like, I don't know how to answer this. Uh, I would say I know how to spend my own money now. I spend my money on things that are important and things that I value, but I don't place too much emphasis on money because I've seen kind of how bad it can get. What it can do. And what it can do. And so I wouldn't say I'm great with money, but I would say I understand my own priorities when it comes to money. Yeah. So. Did you 
did you take any important lessons just from working in finance other than what you don't want to do? Yeah, I think maybe maybe that is the main lesson, right? Like I've seen people spend their money on all sorts of things and I've seen people invest money and uh, you know, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't and sometimes you you lose it all and sometimes you win big and it's a lot like gambling. And at least at that level that I was at, I you know, local small business investing is totally different, so please don't take this out of context, but um you know, for for that level of finance, I think I realized for myself and for anyone in my life, I think I always just emphasize, like, spend money on the things that matter to you. So if that's investing in a small business, if that's opening your own business and putting all of your savings behind it, like, that's great. If it's something that you are really passionate about and that's what you want to do, great. You yeah. also can't take it with you. Right. So Truth. My, and mostly from my experience, money just causes more problems. So, you know, I didn't ever want to be in a situation, honestly, where I had, say, a ton of money and then I had family members fighting over it after I was gone. You, you don't get to take it with you anyway. So, you know, use it the best way that you can. Be a good steward of it here. And then, you know, use it hopefully to make someone else's life a little bit better. But other than that. I love that. Yeah. So what does an ex-finance person with a big heart spend their money on? <laughs> uh, well... Oh, gosh. I'll tell you what I spend money on and yeah. then tell me if you're aligned. <laughs> so I spend money on on three things. Yeah. It's like food, self-care, mm-hmm. and underwear. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. That's all I spend money on. <laughs> um, I would say I spend the majority of my money. And incredibly enough, Tucson is a pretty cheap place to live if you can – find a good place to live and a good place to rent. Um, So normally I would have said all of my income goes to my rent. But um, I'm lucky enough that that's not the situation that I'm currently in. So anything left over, I would say goes to food and beverage, Okay, food and fun. Um, I'm a big, you know, I I dine out professionally. Literally, that's what I do. (laughs) And so a lot of that comes from my own pocket because that's how I choose to spend my time. And I go out a lot. I hang out with friends a lot. I, you know, I don't even know. I, I, yeah, I go out and spend money on the people that I love with the people that I love, mostly on food, mostly yeah. on drinks, yeah, wine. I love it. <laughs> That's and it. You're a big cocktail person too, right? I'm mostly a wine person. A wine person. Yeah, okay. definitely more of a wine person than a cocktail person. I don't know anything about cocktails really, other than what my friends tell me. Um, but definitely a wine person for sure. What is your wine of choice? Anything red. Anything red. Yeah. Okay. See, we're opposite. I like like a Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. Chilled. Yes. I mean, I would say mo- the majority of the year, I'm with you okay. in Tucson because it's so, so hot out right. there. But uh, no, anything red, even like chilled red. Oh, mm. you're breaking the rules. I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it like spending time in New York and how different is it from the West Coast? Um, It's very different. Um. I saw a meme the other day that said something like, New York is for people that hate themselves and LA is for people who are obsessed with themselves. And it's like, that's kind of very true. Um, New York is a really hard place to live. It is such a fun place to visit. I I absolutely recommend everyone go and visit. It's a magical city. Um, it is an extremely lonely place to live. So if you move there with a family, if you move there with friends, very cool. It's really hard to get to know people. It's really hard to be alone. Um, And it's, at least my experience, you feel like a really, really, really small fish in a really big pond. So 
I felt very insignificant by the time I left. Like, I think I, I left New York and I was the thinnest I've ever been. I was like 50 pounds thinner than I am now. Um, very unhappy, very depressed. I'd shaved half my head. Like I just, it was, it was a very strange time for me. Um, and I was super unhappy when I came here. I, I don't, I actually don't even know that I'll ever go back to New York, even for a visit. It's that a was cool quite- city, but it's not, it's just, it wasn't for me. It kind of chewed me up and spit me out. Wow. That was my next question. What made you decide to come back to Tucson? Uh, I lost my job. Um, and I remember being on the phone with my mom and I, as we had talked about prior to recording this, I was previously married and I was living on my own and it was really important for me to be able to live on my own in New York. Like I felt like that was, I needed to be able to do that for myself. Um, and after I split with my ex, I lived on my own for about a year and a half, maybe two years in New York. Um, I moved from Manhattan to Brooklyn. Um, I got a new job. I left finance. I was, you know, working at my first ever butcher shop. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved everything. I loved my life. I loved my apartment. It was so cute. It was so fun. Um, but it's really, really hard to make ends meet when you're living on your own and you're not, you know, splitting rent and utilities with anyone else. And New York, it's, I think my last apartment there before utilities was like $1,500 a month for a very crappy one bedroom in the worst part of Brooklyn. Um, and it it just, it kind of just ate me alive. Like it was so hard. And then, so I lost my job. We downsized and the company like basically had to shut down a bunch of their butcher shops. And I remember being on the phone with my mom and she was, I was just crying. I was like, I can make this work. Like I can find something else. I can, I'm gonna make this work. And she's like, why are you doing this to yourself? Like, why are you trying to make it work? Like you're so unhappy and she's like just come here come to Arizona go be with your family like I had never after I moved away at 18 I had never lived in the same area as my family ever so I had been basically on my own since I was 18 and um I was 29 at this point and she was just like, just be back with your people. Yeah. Like, there's no reason to, like, make it work if and you're you, miserable. It felt like a failure to you. Uh, only for about three months. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got over it. Because um, I realized, you know, I really didn't like it there. Yeah. Like, I had been trying to, to force myself to be someone that I wasn't because I felt like I needed to for myself. Like, it was like I needed to be independent and I needed to, like, be able to stand on my own two feet. And I think that's cool. I think that's important. And I wouldn't change that time in my life for anything. But I I also just realized, like, you know, sometimes it's, like, nice to, like, go sleep on your mom's couch, you know? Like, have her make you a meal. Like, that's cool, too. Like, you don't have to be, like, this lonely, sad person all the time. No, there's, like, comfort in that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I think I had lived so long without comfort. And so it was just like, all right, I'm just going to do this now. Yeah. Like. So, I was turning 30. And it was lots of life change. <laughs> so you came to Tucson, uh, got involved with Tucson Foodie, mm-hmm. and loved it. Yeah. Is it the dream job? Yeah. Okay. It, it was, um, and I say that, you know, nostalgically for, you know, years and years ago when I moved here. Um, it. The other thing that's amazing about Tucson versus New York is you can, like, you can show up in Tucson and you can email 10 people and all 10 people will get back to you. 
And like they actually read their emails and like they're like, yeah, new person that just moved here from New York. We can totally meet for a drink. Like, let's meet at the wine bar. And like they actually like are willing to have a conversation with like a total stranger, which is just insane. Like you could email 150 people in New York and not hear back from one of them. There's something special about Tucson. It really is. We've chatted about this before. There's so much local love here. Yeah. The sense of community here is unlike anything I've ever experienced in my whole life. So I came to Tucson kind of hit the ground running and was like, I, if I'm going to make this work, I want to make this work. And I saw an old Indeed.com post from Tucson Foodie that was like way expired. And I started researching the brand a little bit. And um, I was like, you know, this is kind of a cool job. So the former owner, a guy named Adam, I had emailed him out of the blue. And he was like, yeah, you just moved here from New York. You like, I was right immediately prior to moving here I was working in social media so it was like cool like I've got the social media company I've got Tucson Foodie like come into our office and meet up with me and at the time I didn't even have a resume he just like looked at my he was like what do you want to do I was like well you have no Instagram I let me start there and he was like cool let me see your Instagram and I was like food blogging at the time as like a side gig so I was like tentatively like showed him that and he was like yeah I would pay you to just do that basically just do that but do it for me I was like okay cool this sounds like fun (laughs) yeah uh so it was kind of the dream job kind of a a weird landing of the dream job um it was it's such a fun company to work for yeah even now like does a job in content creation like that stay exciting I think it can I think um there's a lot of pressure on content creators to always be creating like viral content and if you can get past that pressure and just like really align yourself with a brand that makes sense I think the thing that made Tucson Foodie at least under my tenure there successful as a brand was that it was just our voice and it was very casual and it really was it was like a niche audience in the sense that it's like you're just showcasing food you're just showcasing like something that you're stoked about right you have to love it you have to love it yeah And I think if anyone else had been doing it or if anyone else wouldn't have like wasn't interested, I I don't think it's a brand that can be run by someone who doesn't care about food Mm -hmm. and doesn't care about the chef community here. Because I think you really have to be like in it, like you have to fully immerse yourself into it. And uh, I've worked with other brands that I was not aligned with and it's never as successful. It doesn't feel genuine. And I think people aren't stupid like your audience isn't stupid and they can tell yeah like you know they can just tell if you're not that interested in whatever that product is that you're trying to sell and things that sound too much like an ad people can tell and they're not interested but a brand that's literally just sharing what they're stoked on eating for lunch like who wouldn't want to follow that that's great like you have to be a foodie in order to create beautiful food content I think so I think so too yeah I think you have to you have to really enjoy it for yourself and nobody else and the audience is is just kind of there yeah um and that brand in particular is really fun because the audience is so actively engaged and so I think that helps yeah like because everyone's like sending in questions, asking for recommendations, you know, where's the best brunch, where's the best this, that, whatever. Like we used to get hundreds of those questions every single day. And it's it's so fun because you you 
basically use that as like a launch point, a yeah. starting off point to like Tucson, interact. Tucson Foodies like law here in Tucson. We look to you guys <laughs> for like where to go. Yeah. I just Googled a couple of days ago. We went to Flora's Market for the first mm-hmm. time because I checked on Tucson Foodie to see like who had a good brunch. Yeah, and for that's sure. what popped up. Yeah. So I love it. How much time are you actually spending on content creation every week? So. My job has recently kind of, I, I basically was kind of doing two jobs and I, I most recently started focusing just on on the butchery side of what I do, um, which I know we'll get into later. But um, I think at, at the peak when I was running a couple different accounts in town and, and doing Tucson Foodie, it was definitely like 45 plus hours a week just on content creation and social media and management. And I was also writing for the brand at the time. So like going out and researching articles and then going to events for that brand it was definitely like well over a full-time job I mean we were all fully employed there um, prior to 2020 now I would say uh, like maybe two hours a week okay good (laughs) so you freed up a little bit of time not much And do you have any apps that you love for content creation or photo editing? Yeah, um, I do actually. Uh, there's one called a Color Story. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a it's just a photo editing app, um, and I really enjoy um, like. It, it, I think it was designed by, I, I'm probably completely botching this, and this was years ago that I downloaded it, but uh, it was designed by a f- essentially photographers, people who are like darkroom, like old school photographers. Their color matching is really on point, and um, their filters are awesome, and they have like specific food-related filters, which is something that you rarely see anywhere. Um, and you, all of the, essentially the, the design tools and all of this happens on your phone. And that was something that was really important for me. Like I couldn't, I had to be able to turn around a photo in like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I'd take a photo and I, I'd immediately have to like edit it on my phone and then post it. And so I very quickly stopped using all the Instagram filters and started like finding my own resources for that kind of thing for like, you know, brightening up a photo for dimming shadows or making it warmer or cooler or whatever. So that's my personal favorite. Um, I've used them for years and I still use them for any content that I'm working on now. So I love it. And I think another foodie is going to get excited about a food editing app. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Color story. <laughs> a color story. Cool. Yeah. My sister-in-law works for this hotel and they just hired a social media girl uh-huh. and their food pictures are, there's like something missing. Really? She asked me what I thought and I'm like, you know, the the food pictures need a little love. I'm not sure. Maybe she's not that much of a foodie. Come to find out the girl's like allergic to everything. Oh, really? Gluten-free, dairy-free, like yeah. vegan. And I'm like, oh, there it is. I think the only thing I could really say to that is like to find a brand. And this is something that I tell to all my clients that are um, like restaurants around town, especially if they don't have any like brand presence yet. Um, I think that's a really unique spot. Like when someone's just opening up a restaurant and it's like, who do you want to be? And like their eyes get really huge and they're like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I want this to feel like. And so I always tell them like, start with something that you like, right? Like find something that you, find a style that you like. So for me, mine was Bon Appetit of, I mean, 20, 
17. Yeah. Height of Bon Appetit, <laughs> right, for me personally. Your Instagram has that feel, though. <laughs> That's I, why. I do see it. Yeah. Now it makes sense. Do you have any tips for having an aesthetically pleasing Instagram? Because you do. It looks like the pages of Bon Appetit. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I like. I think really that's what it comes down to is find find something that like feels right for you. Like, and that can be a brand that that has a good look and feel to you. Or, I mean, there's so many um, content creators and like bloggers, for example, that like all of their photos are whitewashed and muted, right? And like that's just their vibe. Like that's their style, and it's cool. Um, and I think that creating an aesthetically pleasing Instagram is a lot of just making that consistent across everything that you post. Um, for me, personally, it's more trying to capture like, A, keeping everything super light, super like like bright, colorful, um, maybe even like highly pigmented, you know, like really making colors pop. It's just the, the aesthetic that I like. Um, and then keeping everything that you take a photo of kind of in that same vein. On brand. Mm-hmm. Keeping it on brand. Yeah. And not just maybe, especially for food, I think a lot of what I appreciated in other content creators' work was shooting like the not perfect, right? So, you know, you can have a beautifully plated, you know, salad, for example, Um and then if you include a photo of like, but this was like the prep of it or like this is like the knife and me chopping something or like creating like a little bit more of a behind the scenes moment as well and not just having like the perfect picture of the perfect dish that you don't want to touch because <laughs> you want to be able to dig into something or you want to feel like you're part of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just maybe taking photos throughout the process I would say sure. too not I, just the end result I think we're moving away from like the beautifully curated Instagram I think so too and giving it a little more freedom and I like it I do too right. yeah so then in March of 2020 you ended up at the Forbes meat company yeah yeah okay so yeah I had started there actually prior to March of 2020 but it wasn't my full-time job okay so ever since I moved to Tucson um the owner of my company, a uh, guy named Ben, he started Forbes Meat Company like, I don't know, 10 years ago back in Maine or something. Like it wasn't even in Tucson. And then he moved here and was working at a couple different butcher shops around town, like renting space, doing very small things. And I met him. He was actually the first person that I ever met <laughs> in town. Um, and I was looking for a whole animal butcher in Tucson. My immediately before I left New York, I was working for a very chic, trendy Brooklyn butcher. Um, it was my first job in butchery, and it was like, you know, hipster dudes covered in sleeve tattoos, wearing flannel and vans, and like that was the vibe. And we were like the cool, hip Brooklyn butchers. Um, and it was really, really fun. But uh, after I lost that job and I moved to Tucson, I was like, I want to find a butcher shop. Like, this is like, that's what I was doing back in town, like back in, in Brooklyn. So I was like, I want to find that here. And Ben was the only person who was doing that at the time. Um, and it, weirdly, it was a Tucson foodie article that like directed me to Ben. Um, and so I like reached out over Instagram was like hey man like I just moved from New York I used to work at this place called Fleischer's like and he was like oh I know Fleischer's like cool like I do you know this person we like had a couple common common people we knew and he was like let's meet at the wine bar um downtown and I was like cool that sounds great I met with him for a couple hours we stayed in touch we stayed friends he couldn't hire me at the time he wasn't even working for himself really he was working 
uh, at Johnny Gibson's at that time. And he was like, I don't have anything for you. I can't hire you, but like, let's stay in touch. Yeah. And so a couple years later, he came back to me and said he wanted to start selling at farmer's markets. So the Five Points Farmer's Market in town was just starting up, and it was like a very cool, very local, small amount of vendors, farmer's market on Sundays. And so throughout my years at Foodie for, gosh, I'm trying to remember exactly when this was, 2017, I think, um, I worked for him every weekend. So I would make sausage with him on Saturday and then sell at the farmer's market on Sunday. So we've actually worked together for quite a while, since 2017. Um, But it was only part-time until March of 2020 when the pandemic kind of made everyone go like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go to a grocery store and I want to be able to buy good quality meat, but where do I do that if, you know, the Safeway shelves are empty? So a lot of people got directed to him then. Okay. And that was when it became a full-time thing. Weird times. Weird times. Yeah. So it was just you and the Forbes Meat Company Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. And I'm sure you learned a lot. What is the, can you explain the concept of a whole animal butchery? Sure. Uh, Yeah. So whole animal butcher shop is, there are, there are butchers that, um, so I'll tell you what it's not, uh, I guess first, that might be easier. So something like a Whole Foods or a Sprouts, um, they get meat in big giant cases, right? And it's like, here's. 20 pounds of just tenderloin. And so they're not processing the entire animal start to finish. So that's what we do. We process the whole animal. So we get big old sides of animal in our shop and we completely break it down. So a tenderloin, for example, is a really great way to look at this. A tenderloin, you only get one off of a side of cow. A side of cow is 1,500 pounds. What do you do with the rest of that 1,500 pounds? And a tenderloin is maybe two pounds, maybe. And if that's all people are coming in and asking for, it's like, how do you redirect them to buying a crosscut shank? You know, like, how do you say, like, no, don't go for that super expensive filet mignon. Like, here's 18 other steak options. So that's kind of where we come in because we're seeing the whole animal. We're using the whole animal and we have that as our model. It's like once we're out of that product, we're out. And we can't just, like, magically create more ribeyes. And so... We basically have to like really talk to the guest and the customer and say like, okay, what are you cooking? You're cooking a steak? I can tell you five other steaks that you can cook. doesn't have to be that one. That one we don't have any more of, but I can tell you, you know, eight other options that you can do and you can cook for your family for food tonight that you might not be considering. So it's just someone with like a different perspective of like our meat doesn't come in boxes. It comes on the actual animal. So how do you make sure that you know, you're you hear. I'm sure you've heard like head to tail, like mm-hmm. nose to tail, right? Same kind of concept. You want to make sure that you're using every part of it, and that you're helping your customer understand how to use those items that like might not be as popular. So then it's less wasteful. You're yeah. The animal's like dying for a cause, basically. You're, you're, exactly. Yeah, like nothing's going used. to waste. Like we try and use everything, every part of it. You know, um, and mm-hmm. if we don't, we you know, boil it and make a stock out of it. Yeah, you guys have the stock and you guys have the tallow too. Exactly, yeah. I have dreams about coming back to get the tallow and making like a lotion out of it. I should have brought you some. Oh, that would have been next time. (laughs) So how do you deal with these negative people pertaining to the career failure? And because I know you posted about being annoyed that somebody came to the butcher shop and was like, ew. Yeah, Um, for me, it's twofold. And I, 
I, I posted that and then I kind of like actually like took a look at it again. I was like, all right, calm down. Like you're, you're be chill. <laughs> um, so I think what's interesting about a butcher shop is we, at least in our current space, is right now we're sharing space with other businesses, right? So it's called like a ghost kitchen or a communal kitchen. So we're basically leasing space from a, a business owner and we don't own the space ourselves. So because of that, we have to share it. Um, we're not completely closed to the public for the other businesses. So we have people coming and going that are not coming into a butcher shop because they're genuinely curious about butcher shops or what we do. They're coming in and being like, I want to go over to that brewery, but I have to walk through this gross butcher shop. And like, that's usually when like the really weird comments come up when they're like, ew, what do you do here? Like, (laughs) or like there's like a a bartender who works in the same space. And the other day she was like, how do you deal with this? This is disgusting. And I was like, yo, like this is my job. This is something that I do. And like, I, I literally just asked her, I was like, do you eat meat? She was like, yeah, but I can't ever cook it myself. And I was like, okay, I know exactly the type of person you are now. (laughs) And to me, if you can't cook meat and you can't be around it and you can't touch it, you don't deserve it. No. Like, you really don't deserve to eat it. Like, you should try vegetarianism. That might work for you. Meanwhile, I came in and I'm like, Oh my God, this is beautiful. See, and like, give me it all. And that's like, to me, like, that's an appropriate response. And I, I don't know, I would never walk into someone else's place of work and be like, this is disgusting. Like, I don't, th- I can't imagine a time when I ever would think no. that that was appropriate at all. Um, so, yeah, that, those are always like tricky yeah. people to deal with, I would say. No, I was like in Disneyland. I didn't know what to get. I'm like, just give me one of everything. It was it was lovely. <laughs> and I can't wait to see the new space. Yeah. Can you tell us about the expansion? Where are we? Sure. Yeah. So we are uh, in the process of we've been kind of building a, a, uh, a brand, let's say, since 2020. Um, That was when we opened up to the public. That was when it kind of became like a full retail shop. But prior to that, it was just uh, farmer's markets. So people were um, just coming in to like one-off shop with us. Then after 2020, it was like, okay, people want meat. They want good quality. So how do we make that happen for them? And that was when we opened up five days a week at our current spot. Unfortunately, we're just too big now and we've outgrown it. Um, And so we are moving into a building on south 18th and 6th it's called the baffert it's in the five points neighborhood it's actually across the street from five points market and restaurant who we totally love um but we're moving into the bottom of that building and hopefully early 2023 we'll be in there uh they've pushed up back the date a couple times on us unfortunately I cannot wait for that menu. I am super excited. <laughs> it's going to be that really menu. really good. Yeah, full butcher shop bar and uh, restaurant, hopefully, restaurant concept. The thing that lured me into Forbes Meat Company was the ahi pokey. Oh, really? <laughs> Do you think that'll be on the menu? Definitely a possibility. Okay. Yeah, it's it's very popular. Okay, cool. Yeah. And how long until you're officially a butcher? So there's a couple different schools of thought. You can be a apprentice, which is technically what I am for years, um, like decades even. Um, certainly in like other countries, it, it would be years of learning. Um, there's a school of thought that I was always told that once you can process an animal start to finish, um, so completely break down, say, a side of beef by yourself without help in, I think it's three hours, and you have to be able to 
do it without any questions. Like you have to just be able to do it yourself. Um, that's when I've been told you can call yourself a butcher. Um, until I would be able to do that, I wouldn't feel comfortable calling myself a butcher because if I can't do it by myself without help, um, I don't think it's fair to call yourself a butcher when there are people who like that is what they do. Yeah. So. Will you keep us posted? Of course. I would love to know <laughs> when you finally get Oh, there. I'm going to make a real big deal about it, believe yeah, me. we'll have a meat party. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your top three places in Tucson? Um, or wait, is this the into like hidden treasures well, or hidden gems? Or? We talked about hidden gems and then we talked about your go-tos. So yes. give us a few. Um, okay. So I would say like restaurant dish that I think to me is totally underrated is the citrus marinated grilled chicken at Charo Steak. Everyone goes there for the steaks, rightfully so. It's in the name. Um, weirdly, the chicken dish I think is the best thing on their menu. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's so good. It's like a half grilled chicken marinated in citrus juice. And they do like tortillas on the side and like beans and rice and like guacamole. And it's so good because you're basically like building your own taco. It's just amazing. I absolutely love that dish. Um, another one that's a little bit off the beaten path um, is Takamatsu. Have you ever been there? Mm-mm. It's on Speedway. Sushi? Uh, it's, it's weird. one of those weird, like, fusion-y places that has a sushi bar, but also has, um, Korean barbecue tables. Okay. Um, and it's such a fun vibe. Like, they, it's, like you said, you can go for Korean barbecue, you can go for sushi. I've only ever been for Korean barbecue. But you, like, grill it yourself in the middle of your table, and they bring out all these, like, beautifully, like, pre-marinated, like, kalbi-style ribs and bulgogi and things like that. They've got a really extensive menu, and they bring out all the little, like, banchan, all the little side dishes and pickles and things. So you basically just order a couple different types of meats and then grill it with your friends. It's so much fun. I go every year for my birthday. Okay. Definitely, like, a weird hidden gem yeah. that people don't know about. That sounds like a go-to for sure. Yeah. And then, um, gosh, the other one that we mentioned off air was, of course, Tito and Pep, which I don't think you can really call it a hidden gem anymore. It was they were just profiled at the with the New York Times, but I would say it's still one of my go tos. Again, it's like south or like east on Speedway, um, but it's just fantastic. Everything that they do over there is just wonderful. The cocktails are great, wine list is great, the food is amazing. So, what's your order there? Weirdly, I eat a lot of grilled chicken. <laughs> no, uh, I have gotten their grilled chicken as well. It actually kind of saved me through the pandemic. It was like the thing I would go pick up. Um, but they, they're they mostly um, small plates. And so every time I go there, they have a different menu. They had this one um, like whipped, I think it was like a whipped feta or ricotta with like a grilled carrot and like an herb sauce and like chopped nuts. They do a lot of really stellar vegetable dishes there that are like small plates and you can order like a ton of them with your friends. Um, But that one in particular, I will like never forget that dish. It was like a carrot, roasted carrot dish and it was just amazing. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Whipped anything. I've tried to recreate it and it's not as good. Not the same. (laughs) And it's interesting because you are, you consider yourself somewhat vegetarian. I do, yeah. Can we chat about this? Yes, of course. It's kind of a weird, weird thing. Um, and it really, it, it's kind of how I got into butchery in general. Um, I was a vegan for a long time and then I was a vegetarian. Uh, this is all while I was living in the Bay Area and in New York. And um, as I started to, I guess it was like five, six years in, I was like, you know, I kind of want, I kind of miss like fish every once in a while. And I wasn't that I was having like a hard time getting protein or anything. I just like, I had 
I excluded it for so long, animal proteins in particular, that I was like, you know, I felt like I was like missing out on some stuff. And like as kind of a foodie and someone who's getting more into food, I was like, I don't like I like traveled to Europe once as a vegetarian. Not fun. Like <laughs> I felt like I missed out on so much stuff. That is shocking. I know. And so I was like, you know, I just I kind of want to start eating meat again because um, I didn't want to be that person that was like, I have to say, no, I can't eat that. Um and so when I started adding more meat into my diet, I started being really curious about where it was coming from. And that was when I was living in Brooklyn and I was going to my local very hip, very cool butcher shop uh, to buy like a single steak, you know, once every six weeks, something like that. And the more I spent time there, the more I was like, I really want to like learn how to do this. Like this is really dope. And not a lot of women do this. And at the time, that company was female like operated. Like it was the CEO was female. She was like a little tiny woman, so sweet. And like, I was like, she's such a badass. Like, I want to do that. And uh, so I started like hanging out there. And then they needed, weirdly, out of all things, they needed a social media person. And so that was my first job there. And part of it was we all got to kind of learn also if we expressed any interest. So I was hired to do like social media and marketing for them. I was part of their marketing team. And I just realized like, I want to like learn how to, this is like an art form that people don't do anymore. And it was away from a computer. I had been in finance for so long that I was like, I don't want to be on a computer for the rest of my life. So I want to like learn more about this. And at the time I was debating going back or going to culinary school or going to like learn butchery. And they were a company that actually offered a butcher training program. And so I just decided to go that direction. It was super weird. But uh, yeah, ex-vegetarian, and it's not that uncommon with butchers. Yeah. it's really It really is an art form, I think. And I, I appreciate it. I do, too. I think um, taking a, a, something that's whole mm-hmm. and being able to break it down into useful pieces for people and then educating them on how to use it properly and like what's the best cut for XYZ. Yeah. Like it's not something that a lot of people know and it to me is like a skill that would always be needed. What is your favorite type of meat to prep? Um that's such a hard question. I feel like for I saw me- that on your list and I was like, oh God. Um <laughs> I feel like it'd be like a tomahawk steak or something. They're so hard to cook. Are they? <laughs> yeah, okay. they're so hard to cook well. Um I uh actually I'm I was very much against sous vide. Have you ever used a sous vide before? No. Okay, so it's, for anyone who doesn't know, it's an immersion uh, water circulator, like a water bath. Um, And so you're supposed to cryovac something in plastic and then submerge it and let the water circulate. And you can leave it for like days if you want to. So much work. No, no, but so easy, right? Because it's like a set it and forget it situation for sure. Um, And so I just did this with this thing called a... um, a Florentine steak. So it's a three inch thick bone in porterhouse, right? These things are just beautiful. And um, we were doing it for a, a, a wine dinner at Revel Wine Bar. And they were like, we want like three of them, but we don't want to like cook very long on the grill in the back because then it'll smoke people out, whatever, it'll be horrible. So we decided to sous vide them. So I was like, I just don't want to do this, like a water bath, it's gross. And uh, ended up doing it. And sous vide them for like a couple hours. You set the temperature, it's super easy. And then we just like high heat seared it on their grill in the back of their wine bar. And it was the most beautiful, most perfectly cooked steak 
I've ever done. It was wow. like, I literally like cut into it that night. And I was like, this is my best work. Like <laughs> this is, it was so easy and it's such a cop out way of cooking, but I was so against it for years. Cause yeah. I just thought oh, that's cheating. Like no, I don't want to do that. I'm intimidated by the sous vide, but I also know this is the secret to the Starbucks egg bites that I'm obsessed <laughs> with, <laughs> but I refuse. They're magic. I mean, they're amazing. Do you agree with? Yeah. I mean, the yeah. Egg bites. The egg bites. That so is, perfect. That is their secret. Is have, the you, sous vide. have you ever tried the Trader Joe's ones? No. Oh, they have them. They have them now. Just as good? I, I, no, no. It's okay. never just as good as no. Starbucks. <laughs> when I die, like bring <laughs> egg bites to my funeral. We'll do. Make a note. <laughs> so, do you have any other restaurant spots that you love outside of downtown? Um, I spend a lot of time actually. I spend most of my time downtown. I live downtown. I'm lucky enough to live downtown. I work downtown. Um, I could walk to work if I wanted to. It's lovely. Um, but uh, most recently, I've been getting a lot more into stuff on the east side. Um, I haven't explored a lot of the west side yet. Um, and obviously, south side is like, you know, the best tacos in the world. Yeah. Um, but I would say, weirdly, it also could fall into the hidden gem category of your questions. But my go-to is weirdly Red Garter. Have you ever been there? No. So, okay, dive bar on Speedway, like Speedway in Tucson, I think it is. Is there food? There's food. It's like bar food. Oh. And so as someone who is like a self-proclaimed foodie, like you wouldn't think bar food, right? Um, weirdly, it's so good. Um, and it like they make just amazing sandwiches. Okay. And you can go and like sit and have a beer and have a delicious sandwich. And it's kind of become a go-to for me. Yeah, underrated. And underrated, not on, you know, not downtown. So when I feel like I want to get out of downtown, that's kind of where I go. Okay. Yeah. Tell me what a day in the life of Melissa looks like. Uh, right now, it's, it's so funny. I actually, um, you know those like TikTok videos that are always like, uh, follow me on my day as like yes. a 30-year-old influencer, whatever. I love those videos. Um, I'm always so entertained by how people spend their day. But mine is, um, for the most part, uh, you know, I wake up and usually, you know, panic because I'm already late and then <laughs> throw on jeans and throw on these big massive boots that I wear to work. Wait, what time are you waking up? Oh, what kind of coffee are you having? Okay, give so, us the details. All right, give the whole detail, whole rundown. So uh, I usually wake up on a good day, like 730, right? Because okay. then it's like time to like chill and like pet my cat, whatever, hang out, um, listen to a podcast, whatever. Um, and I, yeah, usually we'll get up and go to work. Um, I always stop at uh, Cafe Luce downtown. Um, that's by far my go-to. It's A, right on the way, and there's always convenient parking right out front. Um, and B, it, the coffee's just delicious. They have, like, these, like, big uh, quart containers of cold brew that you can buy and, like, take with you, which are just amazing. Um, so yeah, I usually wake up and then go to work. I have to be at work at nine, but Ben's the, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're already late kind of guy. So I'm usually there at like 845, try to be around that time. Um, and that by that time I usually need a second cup of coffee. Um, but so I usually show up there and then it's a lot of like just prep basically. Like you have to like prep your space. So I, anyone who works in a kitchen knows this. You're like setting up sanitizer buckets and like bringing over like floor mats and things like that um, to kind of set it for the day because by nine, like we have customers coming in. Like it's very constant nine to five, um, nine to six some days. Uh, but so mostly I'm just, it kind of depends on what day of the week it is, but I'm always in the butcher shop there, you know, eight, nine hours a day. We don't like leave for lunch or anything. We're, we literally live there. Um, and it can be anything from, you know, production, making sausage to 
grinding meat to, you know, here's a whole side and this is your project and you get to work on this for a while, for a couple hours. Um, yeah, it just kind of depends on what it is we have going on. And, and then, then I go to a wine bar okay. after work. And then you're having dinner out and about? Yeah, usually super late night, which is terrible. Um, but yeah, usually I, I'll usually bring lunch with me. And occasionally we order stuff in for the team. But usually I'll bring in like a sandwich or something, just something super easy. And then, um, yeah, if I eat out after work, it's somewhere downtown typically because I like to just like park my car and leave. I don't like I'm not a driver, but I think that's like years of San Francisco and New York. New York. I just don't like driving. Yeah. So I always try and just like walk around. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's always somewhere downtown. Uh, Hotel Congress Maynard's is a huge go to for me. Um, and then, you know, Riley, another big go to um, anything really downtown kind of for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. So what's next for Melissa? Is there any restaurant consulting in your future? Um, I'm doing a little bit of that now just on the social media side. So I'm still working for a couple different brands in town. Um, but it's not a huge part of my day to day anymore. Um, mostly I am just working in the butcher shop and I'm trying to learn as much as I can. And eventually I would like to be a full fledged butcher and be able to call myself that. So I think what's nice about this particular career path is there is always that goal. I don't think I'd ever want to open my own shop just because I've seen how stressful that is. Um, but right now we're just kind of all hands on deck focused on our new project with Forbes. So we're all super excited about that. And it's something we've definitely been thinking about and working on for like three years at this yeah, point. It's so. really exciting. Yeah. Any travel this year? Uh, actually, I think next month, well, uh, butcher shops usually aren't allowed to travel oh. for the holidays um, because it's your busiest time of the year. Okay. So thanks between Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, like sure. they're like, yeah, you don't really get to go anywhere, uh, which is totally fine with me because I have family here, so I would be sticking around anyway. But uh, I think in October, I'm going to maybe go to Chicago. Okay. I'm debating between either Chicago or Paso Robles in California, which is like wine country area. Um, my best friend from college, she and I still travel together all the time. And um, most recently, we came back from a trip to Italy and then Croatia, which was just amazing. Fun. Um, but yeah, so I'm thinking maybe maybe we'll hit Chicago. We want to go somewhere like kind of local because we only really get to take a couple days off. So I think maybe that's our plan. Fun. And yeah. I have a selfish question because sure. my family and I are going to New York for Christmas. Oh, fabulous. Good for you. Any tips, any advice? Am I going to freeze my ass off? <laughs> yes. Okay. Being from Tucson, wear lots of coats. Okay. Uh, bring lots of coats. Um, but yeah, I mean, New York in Christmas, it's the best time. That's it's what I hear. brutally cold for okay. sure. And like certain parts of it are going to be like a little less pretty, right? Like... Central Park, it's a little wintered. Okay. It's a little bleak. We're doing Tribeca, okay. Chelsea, and the Financial District. Oh, okay. Are those good? Yeah. Where, okay. are you, where are you staying? Uh, those areas. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so you're going to stay in all three? Yes. Interesting. Financial District will be very shut down that okay. time of year. Um, I Only because I used to live there, sure. so I know for sure. Um, but Tribeca and where was it? Chelsea? Chelsea. Absolutely magical. Okay. Um, I would say you have to do like Rockefeller Center. Yes. You have to do like Upper East Side. Just window shopping alone it is just unbelievable that time of year. Like the 
the Chris. Are you a Christmas person? I'm not, but my kiddo is. The Christmas decor yeah. is the best in the world. Okay. Like the whole city feels like magic. Magical, yeah. It's unbelievable. Okay. The only other advice I would tell you is um actually I'm just gonna send you a list. There's a couple of really good oh, hot yes, chocolate places that please. like are like don't miss. Um, and then uh, my advice to anyone who goes to New York, is this your first time there? Yes. Uh, go to Brooklyn okay. also. A lot of people have a tendency to just stay in Manhattan. Brooklyn is so beautiful and it's really like so up and coming. Like Williamsburg area is just so wonderful. Um, it's a little less like, I'm trying to think. It's like going to Phoenix or going to Tucson. Okay. That's, that's actually the like difference. a great difference between the two. Like if Manhattan is Phoenix, Brooklyn is Tucson. Okay. Like, you can see the sky. Like, it's a little less overwhelming. It's a little bit less commercial. Like, there's a lot of, like, good things in Brooklyn, too. Okay. Send me your list. I'm definitely going to need it. We will post the list um, somewhere. We'll post it to share with people. My main concern is freezing and the subway system. Subways are super easy. Okay. Um, And actually, surprisingly, pretty clean. Not going to get murdered? Not going to get murdered. Okay. Yeah. Subways are not, and they're not hard to navigate. Okay. Like, the the system is, like, letters and numbers, and everything is super clear. And it's a grid. So if you can navigate, like, a map, you can navigate a subway system. Okay. Cool. It's super easy. There's an app, too, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. My husband thinks he's going to be okay with a hoodie. No. Can you please <laughs> give us advice on this? Yes. If you are listening, sir. Um, no, I definitely, it is, especially from, for people from Tucson, like we're all like lizard people that are like so used to the hot and, and super dry. Um, New York is freezing in the winter for sure. Um, it's worse in like February, so you're not going at the worst time of year. Okay. But you, it will be cold. There will definitely be snow. Um, yeah, it's... If I can't, I actually can't even imagine coming from Arizona because I only ever came the opposite direction, you know? Like, I would come to Arizona to visit, and I was always like, this is amazing. Um, but yeah, lots of a hoodie, a good winter coat, like a down winter coat. North Face Company and parka. Yeah, a parka, yeah. for sure. Like, you want something with a hood, but you also want mittens. You also want a hat, like a hat that you can pull down over your ears because your ears will be freezing. Yeah. Um, and really, really good shoes. Waterproof. Waterproof. Okay. See? Like spray down with like waterproof or actually for a lot of the winter, I would wear um, rain boots because they're tall enough. Okay. Uh, that they, because you, I mean, you step off of a street corner and there's like 16 inches of freezing water not 16 inches, six inches, freezing water, right? The puddles are unbelievable because once the snow starts to melt, there's nowhere for it to go. And so, yeah, you get just like these icy sludge puddles. Okay. And because it's New York, it's super dirty water. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, rain boots are actually amazing in okay. that situation. If you don't have snow boots and you don't want to buy snow boots for a single trip, um, rain boots are weirdly awesome because okay. they're so tall. Yeah. So they're great. I feel like I'm prepared. I have to convince him. Yeah. And if not, what my plan is to get like a really nice jacket for him, put it in my luggage. Smart. When we get there and he freezes, yeah. I'm going to be like, ta-da. Yeah. I told you so. Yeah. And for it'll sure. it'll be the best. That's honestly great. The <laughs> nice thing too is like New York is you're not going to like lack a place to shop. Okay. And so if he's freezing, go go buy him one there. True. 
Like, because they're going to have a lot more options than Macy's. we would have here. Yeah, we could have Macy's. So, Cool. You could, yeah, little, you can go to anywhere in New York. They have everything. Well, I feel like we could go on and on, Melissa, but that is all I have for you. And sure. I want to thank you for being on. This has been magical. Yeah, and it's been really, really fun. Thank we'll you have so to do much a part two. Me. That sounds great. We'll definitely do a part two. Awesome. Thank you for being on. Thanks. <laughs>